Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everyone, welcome back to the State of America podcast. My name is David, and as always, the man on the other line is Ian Rice. Ian, it's been a minute since uh, since we've done one of these. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Man, I cannot complain. I cannot complain. It was 64 here and no clouds in the sky all weekend long. Uh, so that's nice. I know you screenshot your temperature the other day and sent it to me. What was it like 27 and cloudy? 27. And that was the peak of that day. It was <laughs> when I left for work that morning, it was 14. <laughs> Man, that is, that is, that is rough. Well, uh, so it's been, well, as we hear this, it's been a, a week or so since we released our charity episode and, uh, we just got an overwhelming positive response to that. And, uh, I think everybody came away from that interview the same way that you and I came away privately after we talked when their interview was done. What a nice, nice lady that is full of positive energy and had some great oh. stories. Oh, she was fantastic. I mean, you can't ask for a better guest, really. She was so just giving of the information and really, you know, wanted it to be successful on our end, just, you know, and, and it was really happy to be involved. Yeah, and like we said, I, I think we said on that episode, having people on like her uh, opens doors to other people coming on that may be a little bit leery of us. Um, it gives us a little bit of clout when we're asking other people to come on. Hey, we've had Charity. We've had Steve Gorman. You know, we've had Matt Slocum. Uh, and so uh, there's going to be some fruits come of, of her appearance, but uh, she has said she would come on again. And I, for one, am looking forward to it. Uh, based on the social media response, all of you guys liked it. And we had someone uh, very integral to what they did um, confirm that they'll come on our podcast at, at a later date uh, that's going to have an interesting perspective. To me, that's that's really interesting because her, you know, she wasn't necessarily a fan of the band beforehand. She gets in the band and then, you know, you heard her talk about how great she thinks Chris's voice is and, you know, she talked about like how talented Rich is, how they would just come and work through a song they've never played before in soundcheck. And then, you know, you go hear it played. And to me, it sounds like they've been playing it every night. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't ask for a better uh, guest, really. So speaking of social media, uh, thank you, everybody, that has recently followed us on Twitter at State of Amorca and our Facebook page, State of Amorca Podcast. And our Instagram numbers have bumped up. So we really appreciate that. And I uh, really appreciate all of you that have left uh, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. That helps us greatly. The other day I was scrolling through my podcast menu and clicked on a, another podcast. And guess what? Popped up underneath it. You may also like State of America. So uh, that really helps us uh, increase our numbers. And the more numbers we get, uh, the more things that we can do. So if you haven't left us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, please do that. That That's that's great. And then also you can leave a uh, review or a recommendation on our Facebook page. Ian, as we're recording this, we're about four days removed from the first Brother of a Feather show. As usual with the Black Crows online community, uh, there's division uh, over, oh, yes. uh, over the uh, Brothers of a Feather, uh, the first two set list. Um, I'll have to say to you, when I saw the first set list, it looked pretty safe to me. Uh, there were a couple oddball things in there. I, I think Twice as Hard was kind of an oddball one to throw in acoustically. Uh, I liked Willen as the um, as the closer always. That's top five Crows cover. And honestly, one of my favorite closers, regardless of original or, or cover, there's just something about that song that resonates with them, and they nail it every time. Yeah, it's almost like it was written for them. But uh, you're a, a big fan of the uh, the second night closer, though, the encore, Man. right? Oh, yeah. This, <laughs> this boomer story BS, man. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Hey, at least you beat the traffic when you hear that. When I hear those opening chords, you know, <laughs> hey, we, we can beat the traffic. No, that, that's fine. I mean, a lot of, I'm in the minority. A lot of people really like that song. But uh, what were your thoughts on the first two set list? They were a little bit safer than I, I thought they were going to be. But, I mean, really, at the end of the day, when it's just the two of them, any songs that they're cranking out, I'm, I enjoy their catalog. There's not much in their catalog I'm not 
open to you know what i mean so i just uh i just think it's great that they're performing from the from the videos that i saw at least from the first night you know there seems to be a genuine mutual enjoyment there if they're not at least having fun doing this they're they're doing a tremendous job of faking it well a lot of people you know i've seen remark they're perhaps you know putting it on a bit and i really i don't get that impression i mean if that's if that's how you perceive that, that's that's you know entirely up to you. I I, I disagree. Uh, again, I spend a lot of time going through Facebook because I manage our Facebook page, and you know I, I see the same remarks a lot about uh, you know it's it's only about the money, it's only about the money, it's only about the money, and I don't think that that's the only motivation behind this Brothers of a Feather tour or the Shake Your Money Maker anniversary tour in general. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's probably a little bit of both to be honest with you i think obviously they're brothers and there's a connection there that you know they're not going to have with anybody else and i know we've talked about it just from like a human element and i think we even mentioned it with charity even for no other reason it maybe brings their helps their mother i mean you've got to think that's a tough situation they haven't spoken to each other in seven years you know and their father has died and you know this is a big part of their their mother's life, obviously. So, uh, just from a human level, I hope it's genuine, and I hope they, uh, you know, remain close or as close as they can be. And uh, you know, history says they they have a lot of issues with one another. But I've I've kind of said this all along. If you don't want to go see the Black Crows because you don't like the lineup, I think that's perfectly a perfectly legitimate reason not to go. Uh, I think that's perfectly legitimate. It's one of those things where, to me, it's a situation where. I can see both arguments. Like I always say, mm-hmm. if Chris and Rich are playing together, I'm going regardless of who's in the band. Uh, I just, right. I, I love hearing those two together. And, you know, I would obviously love to have Ford and um, Sven and, and Slocum. And, you know, if you, we don't have Gorman, at least, you know, Joe Magistro. But if this is what it takes right now for them to get back together and possibly put out new material, and, you know, who knows who will be in the band in a year or two. I'm all for it, but I completely understand people not wanting to go see them. You know, I've had some people tell me, well, you're just saying that because you have a podcast. And it's like, no, I mean, I I, I legitimately, I'm going to go see them. (laughs) You know, I'm able to put, for the most part, kind of personal feelings on things like that aside for the music. Ultimately, it's about the music. Um, If I dug into every person that I listened to's personal life, I, I would probably not become a fan. Everybody's got things that aren't the best about them, so... I'm going to go see them. And like I said, I don't begrudge, I don't begrudge people for getting online and blasting them for not getting the band back together if they want to. I mean, we're all fans of this band and all of us have a, you know, some sweat equity into it. So, um, you know, your opinion's your opinion. It's just, I'm, I'm choosing to go see them and, you know, I'll make a judgment for myself, what I think, how they think they are when I see them live. But, uh, until then I'm not going to make a judgment based on, you know, the few videos that I've seen. And I'll freely admit, I think that she talks to angels on the Stern show sounded great with the new guitar player. Isaiah. I think it, it was a nice he, rendition. I thought too. he added, added a lot to it. So, you know, those first two shows they played on, uh, in Stern and then at the Troubadour in, in, in New York was the first time they played together in public seven years with, mm. you know, four new people. Uh, I'm not going to judge them on that. Now at the end of this tour, if you know, it's kind of weak or whatever, I'll, I'll, call spade a spade on that but um i'm gonna reserve judgment till i see them myself and listen to them with my own ears in person yeah i mean i i wholly agree and i i you know if i i've never had anybody make that remark uh to me with regards to you know we're supporting it because we have the podcast i, I will tell you that everything i say on here and I, I i'm gonna vouch for david on the same lines everything we say on here is our genuine opinion and i would absolutely tell you if i thought it was a bad thing and i wasn't going to do it and i and if if i was of that mindset i would tell you Uh, but i i really this tour can be about a financial aspect and it can also be about a human aspect it can be both of those things and um you know if somebody came to you and said hey you normally get paid thirty forty thousand dollars or whatever it is for this we're going to give you a million or two to do it would you turn it down in your personal life No. no you wouldn't it's 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 ridiculous to say it and these gentlemen have families and and kids to support and things and so i mean obviously finances is going to come into it and uh i can't really fault them for that this is how they make their living but i also genuinely believe that they're making a honest go at trying to be unified yeah and 
I will always stand by that. Yeah, and like I, said, I can't blame people for being cynical about it. I mean, you know, there there's some start, circumstantial evidence that you know, I, if you wanted to lean that way, I, I definitely can see it. But I'm excited they're back together, and um, I'm excited that they're going on tour and hopefully getting new music. And uh, we got these Brothers of a Feather shows. Um, seems like the re-releases have picked back up um, mm. since they got back together. We just had Brothers of a Feather, which I got. The other day, if um, they need to put out lions and by your side and uh, freaking roll on vinyl again, and we'll be cooking with gas then. Yeah, and they just did a uh, Before the Frost black vinyl reissue, which I had a fiasco ordering from this uh, place called SRC Vinyl, but I did manage to find a copy elsewhere. So, yeah, and we hopefully got that'll the- be arriving soon. And my brothers of a feather. I just need by your side and uh, lions and freaking roll, and I think I'm set. <laughs> yeah, so and Crowology, Crowology. They, that needs to be the first. That needs to be the next re-release. Crowology. I know you've been dying for that. I, I, at least once or twice a week, I, I troll through eBay and Discogs to see if anybody's parting with it for a reasonable price. But that that thing is sky high. I haven't seen it for anything under two hundred, two hundred twenty-five dollars. No. Yeah. And you know what? It, it really it's a shame because that that. That LP should be in your hands, David. You want that so bad. You well, know? <laughs> I, I want to hear it on vinyl really bad because when it came out, just on CD or even the um, the MP3 on he- you put headphones on, it sounded so good. It was recorded so well. So I can't help but think if it's put on vinyl correctly, that uh, it wouldn't be amazing. It was a three LP set, so it was a right. little pricier. I said, oh, "I'll come back around to that," and then all of a sudden, gone. Never to be seen again. Yeah. Uh, I wish I had grabbed it. So this week we have kind of a twofer for you. We got to interview a a gentleman that went to the first Brothers of a Feather show in London. Uh, His name is Liam Whiting. And uh, Liam was a a really, really good guest. You'll hear that. Uh, You'll also hear us talk about he's going to come on in the future and do Before the Frost. So um, I I thought he did a great job. And um, it was really good to have somebody there at that first show. About five or six months ago, we kind of hastily recorded a episode uh, about uh, album covers of the Black Crows. And I, th- I think we went through Three Snakes. I don't can't remember. Yes, what we, did. we did. Yeah, yeah, Three Snakes. We just talked about them for a little bit. And it's really not an in-depth discussion. It was basically we've had this laying around kind of as an emergency podcast that we could use um, if we got tight on something and couldn't get one out in a timely manner. So we're going to ha- we're going to just put both those episodes together as one. I don't want anybody out there thinking though that we're phoning it in this week. We actually really enjoyed doing that album covers episode, but it ran a little short, so we were never quite sure what to do with it. So we kind of finally figured out a way to pair it together. So it is a good episode. Don't, yeah, it don't is. Think otherwise, it's just not very long. So yes. Um, We've kind of, like I said, we've been kind of waiting for the right time to use that. And we thought since uh, Liam's interview, I think it ran 14 or 15 minutes. That way we don't shortchange you on uh, content this week. Um, And then uh, we'll be back with our next episode. Thank you for your support. It means the world to us. Uh, We're going to keep trying to get uh, the best guests that we can. Please uh, be active with us on social media. Really enjoy all the engagement. People, please please get leave the reviews give us stuff because david see how hard he's working me we're doing another episode right after this it's like a sweatshop over here <laughs> so we you know we start doing better you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah i gotta put in work man i gotta make him earn it gotta make him earn his money so anyway here uh we're gonna go with liam first who was at the london show followed by our discussion of album covers so uh we hope you all enjoy and we will be speaking with you again soon
All right, Liam. So you were uh, you were very lucky that you got to go to see the first Brothers of a Feather show uh, of this tour, and the first one I think since 2006, 2007. And if I believe I read my notes correctly, you saw them in London. So uh, before we get to the actual show, first of all, thank you for coming on, and secondly, yes. uh, lead us up to you getting the tickets because. Um, while the rumors have been out here for a couple of months that they were going to do this tour, uh, the once they announced it, the time to get tickets was very quick, and um, those tickets sold out really, really, really fast. So kind of walk us through how you got your ticket, and was it, were you nervous you weren't going to be able to get one? Yeah, so the tickets, they sent an email to limited people on Monday lunchtime, for two days time and it was to be in a venue in front of 350 people so it really was a complete rush to try and get them i was sat trying to buy the tickets i had one in my basket and couldn't press pay so i was panicking <laughs> that i couldn't get one and i couldn't get one so i sort of through the power of social media someone had a spare ticket and luckily i got one in the end but it oh. was very difficult to get a ticket um, and also, with the tickets, they try to put your name and ID on there so they couldn't sell it onto touts because mm-hmm. I know the touts would have tried to sell them for two, three hundred dollars probably easily. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've, from all accounts, it was like, uh, you know, gone in a blink of an eye, those tickets. So uh, it's very... Yeah, they went, they went very quickly, I believe. Tell us about the venue. I don't believe I've ever seen that listed before as, as a concert venue. So mm. kind of tell everybody the size of it, where it's located, kind of the yeah. general vibe of the place. Yeah, so the venue's in central London. It's quite a new venue. Um, I saw North Mississippi All-Stars there last year, and they have sort of similar bands that play there. And you sort of have to be in the know for the bands. And yeah, it's a really good venue and really small, great acoustics, really nice scenery and a good bar. So you can't really complain there. <laughs> it's the three key things, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So was it general admission or were there, was it assigned seating? Uh, general admission. So it was just sort of stand where you like to. So how close were you to the stage? I was about halfway to the front from the back sort of thing. And uh, what was the, uh, the atmosphere in the room? Some people are really for this and some people are really against this from the first moment they announced they were putting something back together so i mean was it a positive thing or yeah very very positive everyone i spoke to really sort of was looking forward to this and the most surprising thing for me was a lot of people there had never seen the crows before i thought it was going to sort of just be all diehard fans but it wasn't at all i didn't expect that and people had flown all over from the UK. Like I was chatting to people at the bar, people flown from Belfast in Northern Ireland, Scotland, Southern Ireland, all over England. Someone drove from Scotland, which is about 12 hours for us. So it's really dedicated fans went to it. <laughs> How many times have you seen the band? So I've seen the Black Crows at least four or five times, but I've seen Rich and Chris every time they've come over to the UK in their own side project. So I've probably seen them more than double figures, I reckon. And as someone that's um, followed the, the band for quite some time, what did you think of the set list for this particular show? I thought the set list was a very safe bet, personally, because they mm. just seem to play the hits that they've all sort of done through Chorology and they've recorded before. But as a fan, it's a very good set list. And I noticed there was sort of a few curveballs, like Horsehead, that I didn't ever expect them to play. And I know how Chris loves to do a cover, and I thought he might have done a British cover, that, which he usually does, but he didn't. So that was quite surprising. But yeah, really good to see. All right, so let me ask you this. All of the videos that I have seen so far, it is only Rich playing guitar. Did Chris play at all? No, he didn't. No, it was all Rich. But I noticed from going, Rich's guitar and singing has improved a lot since when he was in Magpie Salute. You go listen to the original recording of Paper, not the re-recorded version, but the original recording of Paper versus his voice now. And I mean, you have to give him a lot of respect because he has really worked on that. It has gotten a lot stronger. Completely agree with you there. Yeah, definitely. The cover they did that night, it was the encore, right? It was Willen the first night? Correct. I saw them play that together when they were the Crows um, in Manchester about seven years ago. So that was didn't expect them to play that one. That was a nice surprise. Let me ask you this, Liam. You're talking about Horsehead. 
was that played on an acoustic guitar? Because I believe on the original Brothers of a Feather, Chris played like a, a clean sounding Telecaster or something like that. Isn't that right, Ian? Yes. Yeah. So did he play an acoustic guitar or did he just play like a, a clean tone electric on that? Acoustic, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So much yeah. like the uh, the B-side version uh, from By Your Side. Yeah, that's, that's great. Now, I watched a few of the videos, obviously, and sometimes it's hard to tell things from videos. It's not the same as being there. But there were a few moments in some of those videos where they really seemed to genuinely be enjoying each other. I mean, did, you, did that come across live? Yeah, it really did. Like, I, my opinion, because I've seen the band a lot, they didn't seem that happy for years and they generally looked happy to just be there and sort of just play with each other. And you could really see the chemistry come back, which they have, and you can't sort of get that naturally. So yeah, that was really good to see. And you could see sort of Chris was really sort of really trying to sing and you could see the crowd sort of feeding off it from some of the videos I could see as well. Yeah. A lot of the videos I saw that people were, you know, singing along and really getting into it. So, I mean, it seemed like it was a good atmosphere. Yeah. Were you, sing- really. were you singing along? <laughs> I was, I, had, I didn't have a voice the next day. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the reception like from uh, the crowd? Because you said it was, you thought you would see a lot of people that were diehards that you'd, maybe you'd seen at shows before, but it sounds like it was a lot of newbies there. Were they excited? Yeah, a lot of people seem really excited. The guy I got the ticket from had waited 30 years to see him, and he was really excited. So, yeah, a lot of people were. I think everyone's just happy to see him back to what you were saying previously. Well, let me ask you this, because last night they played in Amsterdam, and apparently there was an issue with the crowd, uh, with people talking, and uh, Chris chastised a member of the crowd. I know in, in the States here, it's a real problem if you go to an acoustic show these days. Everybody's on their phone or talking. I've been to numerous concerts where, you know, uh, been a little bit of a talking down to by the artist to the crowd. Was that a problem in London or was or were uh, the London people a little more well-behaved and uh, have better manners than the rest of the world? So I go to quite a lot of concerts myself. So I went to see Tatasky Trucks recently and people were talking a lot. And at the Crows gig... The other night, they weren't talking. So I don't know if it's maybe a respect thing or a bit of excitement. I'm not too sure. But no, it wasn't a problem. I'm not too sure why. But Typically at a Black Crow show in the UK, because over here, there's a lot of people that have followed the band a long time, like yourself. But everybody kind of becomes friendly and meets up and you see the same faces. Is that how it was prior to this? Like when you would go to shows, did you you start to see, you know, recognize people and you have your, your usual crowd or? Yeah, definitely. I've noticed that with this sort of genre of music. Yeah, definitely the same sort of people. But I didn't see any of the regular faces there that night. I don't know if they couldn't get the tickets or not too sure, or if they're waiting for Brixton. I'm not too sure. No, there wasn't many of them there. All right, so is Brixton, is that going to be a full band show this summer? Correct, yes. Are you going to attend that? I am indeed. So Brixton Academy is sort of our most historic venue in london mm. so it's sort of a really big deal for them to play there and i saw them play there previously before yeah it's going to be a really good show i think after the other night all right there's one song i wanted to ask you specifically about when i look at the uh, set list and i think of how this translates in an acoustic setting vice is hard to me seems like an oddball choice to play because so much of that song is uh is you know built around distortion and uh not necessarily uh when you think of an acoustic song how was Rich able to pull that off and to fill in all of that sound that would be lost from not being plugged in? I, I see exactly what you mean. He just sort of played it as if it was just him and they didn't sort of fill in with the backing bits and then it was just sort of Chris singing over the top. But yeah, it was completely different from the normal version, but they really did pull it off. Now, I don't know about you, but when I saw the set list, I, I, I felt kind of the same way you did. I was pleased with it, but I was surprised to see so many songs from Shake Your Money Maker because they're going out right. the summer to do that. Did you find that to be odd as well? Or Yes, completely, yeah. I, I, I was surprised that they played, for example, Soul Singing. I know that's a bit of a crowd favorite, but they don't play that very often. But I thought that was good that they sort of tried to play different songs from different albums. I didn't expect them to play Wall Mule, like, I haven't played that song probably since Warpaint, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> it was it seems to be a Chris favorite, that one. If it was up for yeah. me if it's up for me, they would never play it again. Uh, uh, David, <laughs> David's not big on that one. You know? Hey, so let me let me ask you this. I thought it would have been a good marketing move to go and play that show and bust out something like Tornado or Thunderstorm or you know, something oh, right. off off of uh, Before the Frost because 
right now, I mean, I'm going to a show. Ian's going to show. Anytime Chris and Rich are playing together and I can get to a show, I'm going to go. Am I concerned that I'm, you know, I'm going to a show in Arkansas. Am I concerned that the people in Oklahoma are going to get the exact same show as me? Yes, I am. But I think they missed an opportunity. You go and do that show because a lot of people like us aren't going to, to these shows. I think you play that show, you throw in a tornado, you throw in uh, another uh, unreleased B-side, maybe play uh, Wyoming and Me or something like that. And that gives hope to the people that are sitting on the sidelines and worried about the set list. Yeah, it seemed far too safe for me. And I completely agree with you. I think they should have played a couple of curveballs, but it doesn't look like they are unless they're just playing the classics to sort of get used to each other as a warm-up. And then hopefully as the set goes, they'll play a bit more the B-sides and some of the songs that sort of we want to hear because we've seen them a thousand times. So, yeah. You know, it's funny. Some of those earlier songs from Shake Your Moneymaker, I haven't seen in concert that often. It's it's weird. I always end up at shows that they, they, they stay away from those primarily. So that's the one aspect of that Shake Your Moneymaker, you know, the full band tour that I was looking forward to as I get to see some of those songs live. I was quite surprised that they picked this album to tour opposed to some of the other albums say America or Southern Harmony but I suppose it's the hits so I'm not too sure yeah they're not they're not doing this for people like us yeah they're you know, they're trying to get people like my wife you know who knows she talks to angels and hard to handle so you got to see them acoustically and you're going to see the full band does seeing them play this show does it get you more excited about the full band show or I was a bit hesitant beforehand with this whole release, but after seeing it, I think this tour is going to be really special. Even if they're just playing the first album, I think it's going to be really good. And I'd really recommend everyone to go if they can. Well, I know we're going, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, if Chris and Rich are playing together, I'm going to go regardless of who's in the band. Do I wish we had Mark, Finn and Steve and uh, maybe Matt Slocum on keys and, and the, you know, Mona and charity. Yeah, I do. I don't think we're ever going to get that again. So might as well take advantage of um, what we got. Um, Liam, uh, we really appreciate you offering to do this because uh, we didn't really have a contact in London because we've had a lot of people message us say, hey, are y'all going to speak to someone that was at that uh, Brothers of a Feather show in London? So we appreciate you taking time. We realize it's, I think it's about 10 o'clock where you are, isn't it? Yes. At night. So, um, and Liam is going to be back at some point to do uh, the Before the Frost album with us. He agreed to that some time ago. And uh, Ian, I don't know about you, he's passed with flying colors this week. Oh, absolutely. The only thing I could say is we, we've intended, we've kept poor Liam stringing along here because every time we, we get lined up to do it, you know, we, you know, we get all of a sudden we, we have charities available to come on or, so, or something else or something else. So we've had to, to push it off. But we... Liam will definitely will be back with us, and that's going to be a great episode, in my opinion. Make a Brixton review? Sure, man. <laughs> yeah, you, you, will, you will be our official Great Britain correspondent. All right, Liam, <laughs> if Liam, if you'll hang on just one second. We want to get some information before, before we sign off. Uh, once again, thanks to Liam for coming on. And uh, like I said, we will have him on in the future for Before the Frost. <laughs> You know, Ian, one of the great things about the vinyl resurgence is people's interest in album covers. I feel like for a long time, uh, album covers were not appreciated, and music nerds like you and I really enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the cover art was kind of a, a lost art for a while there. I mean, you know, in the CD era, bands got creative other ways, you know, things digipacks and things folded out and cool inserts and stuff but you never really captured that 12 by 12 piece of art and uh, it's definitely coming back you're absolutely right and then the streaming age came and then nobody really even knows what an album cover is 
at that point. <laughs> no, it's just a little thumbnail in the in the player when they're when they're listening. And also, it's they're great for framing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they don't make those specific frames for them for nothing, you know. When I interviewed uh, from my other podcast, I interviewed Dave Ellison from um, Megadeth, and uh, we were sitting there talking for a second after we got through interviewing. He was talk. I had a copy of uh, uh, Rust in Peace for him to sign, and uh, he said, "Yeah, I feel like people just buy these now um, so that they can get people to autograph them." Yeah, it's probably a lot of truth to that. I feel like a lot of people are into vinyl because it's the thing to be into. But I mean, it really is a superior sound in that they master things for vinyl differently. So, you know, where a lot of CDs are compressed because they try to make them as loud as possible. They understand the market for vinyl are people that are more interested in sound. So they master them differently, you know. So, I mean, being the nerd that I am, I took High Water 1, a Magpie Salute High Water 1. And I transferred that to digital from the from the vinyl. And if you compare the digital file of the vinyl to the digital file ripped from the CD, the dynamic range is very different. So, you know, I get it. But I, I, that being said, there are a lot of people that just uh, are buying them for the sake of it, I think. Well, I'm for anybody buying music, whether it's to hang on their wall or to actually listen to on their turntable. Oh, yeah. I mean, just think... You know, years from now how many pristine copies of albums there will be because people just framed them you know so were you a person when you were growing up or just kind of infatuated with album covers i know i was yes i mean i i I always paid attention to the art i was also the guy that i i read the jacket like oh who's playing the horns on this who's playing the piano you know I, i always like to uh to know everything possible about what i was listening to you know and I, I think it definitely is a lost art of someone listening to a record and holding the jacket in their hand while they're doing it and kind of losing themselves in that in, in in the cover. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I'm like you. Like, who do they acknowledge? What guitar are they playing? You know, who, who what kind of symbols does the drummer use? If you listen to something and you hear a really good guitar solo, how do you know who? You know, it's almost faceless in a way. Well, I know when I was growing up. I was real selective with albums that I would buy, especially like when I was in elementary school, because you just don't have as much money as you do when, you know, when you're older. And uh, a lot of times I would get drawn into albums strictly by the album art at times. And sometimes that turned out well and, and, and sometimes it didn't. But when I start thinking about some of the bands with great album covers, Pink Floyd consistently put out, especially from like Dark Side, really up until they they called it a day all of their albums covers were great and then another band they're a pro they're a prog metal band dream theater man they have amazing album covers consistently and i feel like they really take you know they take pride in it and uh when i met chris robinson uh we talked about like album designs and the the crb albums are all cool the album covers he really takes a lot of pride in them yeah, from what I understand, I mean, although he doesn't do the art himself, I know I, I, I know he has a large hand in it, like the, the concept and, and what he wants to see. And if you look at some of those CRB album covers and posters, you can see some of that in later era uh, Black Crow stuff too. Whether it be the same artist or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But stylistically, you know, I think Chris had a lot to do with that. Yeah, I always really value the people that take pride in even the small things. You know, uh, whether like they put the lyrics in or not. You know, for a long time, Michael Stite wouldn't let R.E.M.'s lyrics be printed. You know, sometimes I think us in those early albums, he didn't know what he was singing either. But no, <laughs> but I always like that when the when the lyrics in there, and it's a much easier to read the lyrics on a vinyl copy than it is on a CD copy. Well, yeah, it's huge. I mean, uh, compared to a CD, anyway. Yeah, right. it's funny you bring up Michael Stite because he. Uh, I I don't know if this was. Always, but later on, uh, you know, he always had a stand on the stage, and he's reading his own lyrics. He couldn't hear, he couldn't remember them because they were so, you know, had so many words, and and they were more a little more, just like stream of consciousness kind of things than anything concrete, you know. Yeah, and he didn't really use a, a monitor like most people use. No, he was he was old school. Did you ever, <laughs> did you ever see REM? 
No, unfortunately, no. And I, I, I'm a big, big, big fan of um, Automatic for the People. I love that album. I think that's when you talk about perfect albums. I think that's that's one that will go down in music history as a perfect album. That's one that I think they um, released on vinyl remastered that sounds really well. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't uh, I couldn't swing it at the time, but uh, so I went for the CD set. <laughs> But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that they're a great band. I was fortunate enough to see them on the uh, Monster Tour, and on what turned out to be their last tour. Um, really, really good live band, and a band that uh, the Crows were listening to a lot before they got signed. Yeah, I mean, I recently saw an interview with uh, Rich Robinson that took place within the last you know year or two, and he was saying how much in the early days. They were essentially trying to be REM, you know. They were from the same town, pretty much, or same vicinity. Yeah, and uh, that was their thing. And they were all excited because when they played a small club, you know, Peter Buck came to see them. You know. Yeah, I've heard Gorman mention the Murmur album numerous times as being a uh, a big influence on him. It's just kind of weird. It seems it doesn't seem like they listen to the type of music growing up and before before they were signed that you would think they would no it's almost like that was like uh they got some kind of crash course or they discovered those records and you know in quick succession went through them and and all of a sudden you know the black crow sound was born you know yeah yeah it, I've, I've read that chris didn't know a lot of those led zeppelin songs he wasn't that familiar with the catalog no i don't think it was something that really was on his radar musically i mean if you if if you listen to or see what they cover sometimes i mean they cover the birds they cover big star you know and and rem that's clearly influences on them as well so you know there's some common ground there you know so this week we're going to uh talk about uh, some of the black crows album covers and maybe a little bit about each album moneymaker through three snakes like I said uh, on an earlier episode, I have gotten into vinyl in the last year or so, so I'm working my way up to buying the entire catalog. And so I think if all the ones that I have are the reissues. Do you have them all on vinyl? I do. Um, I believe the majority of what I have are reissues as well. I mean, you know, actually I have an original uh, Amorica that was pressed on white vinyl in 94. I have that, and I got that before they did the reissues. I mean, Three Snakes, I have the... The only vinyl Three Snakes saw originally was um, it was a release as a box set of 45s, if you if you remember, with like a poster and a and a 45 adapter. And I have that. I've actually had two copies of that because my my mother, when I stored it at her house for a while, it accidentally got uh, damaged, so I had to hunt down another one. You've got two of everything. I do. I'm pretty I sure. End up, I, I usually end up giving the second one to someone else. <laughs> All right. So our first album. Of course, is Shake Your Money Maker. everybody's first exposure to the band what do you think immediately as i hold it up to you ian what immediately comes to your mind when you see the album cover i mean you know at first glance it's a uh you know essentially a black background all black except for their kind of faces and you know upper torsos kind of and it's just a standard picture of a band really but if you think about the time period that that album came out they don't look like any other band that was around at that time and uh even the bands of a similar vein that they tried to kind of package them off with like tesla and things like that they just right out of the gate they were unique and and that album cover kind of shows it to me it's like hey 1990 i know you're used to this but here we are you know right most of those album covers were were very flashy and bright and grabbed your attention and if if I didn't know anything about them and it was 1990 and I saw this in a record store, I would think, oh, this is probably some garage band from the 70s. Yeah, yeah, definitely not something. You know, I'm trying to think of other albums of the time, but you know, a lot, you know, those Guns N' Roses records came out at that time. Doctor Feelgood. Yeah, of course. And I uh, love that know, album cover. 
And then, of course, uh, you know, if you, uh, I've this is like my uh, my uh, white whale, I guess. Uh, I've been looking for a copy of that album, whether it be CD or on vinyl, that doesn't have Rick Rubin's name on it. There's a small section in the credits somewhere. Oh, okay. I'm not sure on the vinyl. I know on the CD you have to open the book, but it lists the credits. And then after they sold like a million copies, I believe, Rick Rubin put in executive producer Rick Rubin on it. So the original co- like that million copies don't have that on it. That man, they didn't get along with him. They just uh, he he you know this is twenty five years later and he still didn't act like they were great friends. All right, so you flip it over, and at the top it says present, shake your money maker, and it's a casino that looks like it's in the twenties, and you've got people playing roulette. I think it's a pretty cool back album cover. Yeah, I mean you know it's there's not much you can really say bad about it. It's uh, it's unique, you know. I mean, of course, the funny thing is, it's like that's the album that most people have, most casual people have, because that's the album with the biggest hits on it. Right. You know, so that's the cover, really. People are going to probably that would be what enters people's minds that, that, you know, not people such as ourselves and our friends who are over the moon with this band, but, you know, people that listen to them casually. So I'm sitting here looking at the back, looking at all the song titles. It's really not a stinker on there. I mean, th- th- this album kind of moves up in my ranking as we get as as time goes by. Well, I mean, it's got one of my uh, favorite live tunes ever on it, which is "Stare It Cold." And uh, yeah, it's it's the the thing that uh, I guess I don't want to say bothers me, but the thing that makes that album lower on my list is because I don't care for the production so much and. They sound a lot more stiff on that album than they do later. That first tour that they did, which was like 1990 through like mid to late 91, I mean, they really came into their own and they had a uh, a much more loose, you know, organic feel to them after that. So that's why the, the first album kind of goes by the wayside for me because they, they sound just a bit too uh, green. You know what I mean? Do you think there's ever been a band that grew more between their first album and the second album as a band than they did? No, absolutely not. Actually, you know, um, another band that kind of changed dramatically between their first and second record would be Pearl Jam. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I I, mean, the difference between... I prefer Versus over uh, 10. A lot of people do. I mean, I'm... Old Mr. Positive over here, I find something in every record to really enjoy, so... One of these days, we're going to find something that you hate, Ian. That's my goal <laughs> Strutton, in life. Yeah, I'll tell you a secret. It's Strut and Blues. I don't like that song. But... <laughs> so there you go. I gave it away. All right. So we talked about Shake Your Money Maker, and now we're moving on to my favorite album of all time, an album that I think is perfect, an album that I read on an interview today. Mr. Gorman said he thinks is perfect and thinks is their best uh, best effort. The Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. My first impression of it now when I look at it is it's almost a carbon copy of the band's second album. Uh, yes. Down to the black and white photos and the kind of old-timey looking script and, and brown uh, up above at the top. And like you said, well, Chris looks a little, maybe he could have fit in at that time. He's got the you know the hat with the feather in it, but the rest of them... Um, it, you know, it's not like the, like you said, not like the music of the time that Steve Gorman's got like really, really short hair. And, uh, yeah. yeah and he's kind of wearing a sport coat on that, you know, but, uh, yeah, he wore a lot of sport coats back then, even in like when they, when they were, when he was drumming. 
yeah, it was it was a different way. He's always been his own man, you know. He uh, he definitely, uh, you know, they always say how they don't follow the trend. Steve is the one that you know was always his own guy, man. He didn't care. He did his own thing. But right. uh, it's funny if you've seen the Remedy video, the 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 kind of like uh, jacket and pants, like almost a suit kind of thing that Rich is wearing, and that's red. That's what he's wearing in that photo, but it's a black and white photo, so you can't tell but it's like it's like this loud suit you know and it's you can't even tell because it's in a black and white photo that's interesting i just you know i guess because it's black and white i just assumed they were all wearing black where did you read that i um i saw somewhere and i I honestly don't remember where but it was like outtake photos from it from the session wow uh, yeah or maybe it was even on uh the who killed that bird home video might have been on that not a hundred percent sure, but uh, you know, I said, "Wow, that's that that's that jacket." It's so unbelievable that you don't even pick up on it because it's in black and white. Yeah, it really for an album that is just absolutely pedal to the metal from beginning to the end. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily know that by just looking at the album cover. No, actually, the only thing that detracts from that album cover for me is the fact that Ed is not on it. That's true. You know, I don't know if I've ever noticed that. Yeah, it's kind of a shame to me. And it also, it makes me feel like because Ed was a bit older than them, like maybe they the, com- the the label suggested keeping him off it or something, or maybe he had just too newly joined. I don't know, but it's a, it's a shame he's not on there because he's a big part of that record. Now, he's on the inside. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, are you th- what are your thoughts on the back the back part of it? Ed's on the back. So Ed's on the back. So I, it's yeah. weird to me that he's not on the on the front. Um, and it's, they're I, all it, wearing the same clothes, so it's the same photo shoot. If I'm not mistaken, on the back cover, the the, the tracks aren't even listed on it. Is that right? On mine, they are. Now they th- are? this is the two LP uh, 180 gram reissue, not the first reissue that everybody said sounded so bad. It's the reissue of the reissue. Now you see what you're because you're handling the album right mm-hmm. now. Um, the thing, the only thing that bothered me about those reissues is they're not gatefold right. covers. They're like so they're very, very fl- flimsy to me. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I think the back cover is cool though. So all right, yeah, all right. So that one has the album titles on it. I'll, I'm gonna look behind me. So my wife got me this when it was first reissued, strictly to put on to frame and put on the wall, and she framed the back cover and that's what's behind me there are no songs listed on it so i never have noticed that that's what i thought because i've uh i don't have the uh the original issue of that that's again another one i've that's on my list you know but uh, sometimes these things get a little pricey on uh, discogs you know so do you think they that was intentional to look like the band's second album i don't i mean they obviously are influenced by the band um, I don't. The thing that makes it different for me is if you see the way that the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion is written out. There was a promotional thing that came with the album uh, at one time. It was like a. It was set up to look like an old time hymnal. I've got it. You know, a Southern hymnal book. Yeah, I have that as well. I have it all wrapped up and put away, taken care of. But all the writing in that is the same font. So I think that's designed to. And I think the brown piece on top is supposed to be representative of that as well steve tomer but it definitely does look like that album steve tomer one of our listeners um i got i I got a copy from him a couple of weeks ago so uh appreciate that steve um all right so we go from this kind of subdued black and white old-timey looking album cover to what is easily one of the most controversial album covers of the 90s and that would be a more. Obviously, it's the album that 
coined the phrase Americans, and that's where all that started. And we are the state of America, so you know. But to me, I don't. It's it seemed like unnecessary controversy. I mean, really, it's a picture from a, you know, an adult magazine from 1976. You know, that's a uh, an American flag bikini with things up the top there. And I never. I mean, I I got that as a as a Christmas gift in '94, and I it never struck me as offensive until somebody told me. You know. Well, they cer- certainly couldn't put it out today. Yeah, funny how times have changed like that. <laughs> so to satisfy some of the like Walmart and things like that, they put out a copy where it's just a black background, but you see the uh, the bikini. I feel like that was kind of an unforced error. It 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 just seems it seems like cheap publicity, and it seems like something that they would be against. Yeah, I mean, it's I I honestly think that. Um they did it because, or at least, you know, Chris and Rich, because they were usually at the uh, forefront of these things, you know, because it struck them as not, I don't want to say shocking, but, you know, something that would get attention. And it did. And, you know, the the, the, the fact remains when you're putting out a record, you want it to be noticed. And Yeah, I, 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 I remember in one of those interviews, Steve said that we're the only band that basically intentionally alienated 85% of our fan base with our second and third album or something like that. Yeah. I mean, well, it's hard because, you know, I, I don't know about where, you know, in your neck of the woods, I live in New York. So especially years ago, there are record shops everywhere, mm-hmm. but I know a lot of parts of the country, a lot of kids get their music at Walmart and places like that. And if that place decides not to carry your album because of the cover, you're kind of screwed. Right. And that was before there was Amazon or, right. or something like that. I mean, fortunately, I, I was always able to get anything I wanted a variety of music stores. I never had to depend on Walmart, but yeah, if you lived, you know, someplace that's your only access to music, especially back then, you know, that that's, that's tough. And that's the only way you're going to get it. And I mean, I understand why bands used to would make concessions to Walmart and places like that, because there's such a significant portion of your fan base. That's where they had to go to get the music. And I think if you intentionally do something to make, places like walmart mad you're you're basically intentionally hurting your fans that's why i never really understood when bands release stuff exclusively through walmart exclusively through target because by the time your next record comes around those other places don't want anything to do with you because you you kept them out of making any money off your last record so you know what i mean that's what guns and roses did with chinese democracy was exclusively through best buy is that right i didn't remember that and think of what that that's just a hor- I'm sure that was just, you know, it affected their sales. But what they did was Best Buy promised 1.3 million units and they wouldn't send any back. So that album, well, I mean, that's, that album that's a big shipped, deal. You know, that album shipped platinum. And there was a Best Buy uh, around the corner from where I live for several years. And uh, for years after Chinese Democracy came out, you would go in there and they had plenty of Chinese Democracy CDs and, and vinyl. Well, yeah, because I, I don't, I, and this is no disrespect to Guns N' Roses or the record, but I don't think it sold as well as they thought it would. You know, I don't think it had the longevity that they thought it would. No, they spent $13 million on it, recording. Yeah, well, I mean. Yeah, there's know. no way it could produce that. So, Amorica was uh, kind of an unforced era. And then the next album is my favorite album cover of the Black Crows. It's the simplest album cover, and it's a top five album cover of all time for me. And that is Three Snakes and One Charm. I mean, you're not going to get any argument from me. It's definitely, it's my favorite album of theirs. It's my favorite cover. I mean, I have the Three Snakes logo, you know, the 45 adapter with mm-hmm. the snake heads on it. I have that tattooed on my back. So, oh, that's cool. You know, I'm definitely big on that uh, that symbol and, and that, that album. So It's so simple, yet so cool. This is the one that I want to get everybody that's alive to sign. It allows for a black Sharpie. You know what I mean? So, right. I mean... But it is. It's. I mean, a lot of the best album covers are uh, are very simple and straightforward. You know, it always dark side of the. It always moon. reminds me of. 
Yeah, it reminds me of Spinal Tap. It's like none more black, you know. It's, <laughs> it's such a great uh, a great thing. Uh, I and then the back of it as well with the uh, the zodiac symbols with the songs on each side. It's I don't know. It's just it's one of those things that you look at and you're like that's perfect. What an album! I'm just sitting here looking at the back. And it says the Black Crows are Chris Robinson, Rich Robinson, Steve Gorman, Johnny Colt, Mark Ford, and Eddie Harsh. It's just cool sometimes to see that in writing, isn't it? It is. I mean, if you uh, if you swapped in Sven Pippian, I would say that that would be the definitive statement on who the Black Crows are. Man, that's a murderer's row of musicians. It is. Um, and, you know, such fantastic songs on that album. The songwriting on this album is really next level, whereas I think... Southern Harmony is a perfect record, and, and it's the great co- combination of great playing and songwriting. They definitely elevated their game on this one. I, my, the This one's my second favorite album of theirs, and it's really because, to me, there's a couple of duds on here, whereas on Southern Harmony, I don't think there are any duds. Yeah, and the reissue has Just Say You're Sorry, which we talked about in our B-Sides episode, and then Pimper's Paradise. I've never really been a big fan of that one. but To me, the reason why that one always stuck out more so for me because it's just dripping with this emotion it's 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 a you can tell where the band was at at that time it's very there's a distress on that record and it's very real and very dark at times and it's just it's that's what really draws me to that album you know it's personal well and i think this album is why so many people didn't like by your side to go from three snakes to by your side is not a natural progression so i you yeah. know i got that but uh, you know, I'm uh, again. I'm always able to separate the album, you know, out of the chronology and get something out of it. But I got that totally. Hey, Ian, it's the it's the album that brought us together. Actually, it is yes. And if you, uh, I mean, one day we will uh, address the album again, most likely with a uh, with a guest. But uh, if you guys are interested in hearing what we had to say about that more recently, you can always check out David's other podcast, Digital Killed the Radio Star. There's an episode on there that we did together, which is the birth of this podcast. And I'm very proud of that episode and I'm very glad that it happened. Me too. Yeah, and I have that one, and then I did Amorca with Craig Helmrich and uh, Shake Your Money Maker with uh, Jessica Cole Recco. So shout out to both of them. They're both uh, big in the uh, Crows Online community. And uh, Jessica's awesome. Especially Jessica. She's all, man, she's everywhere. You know, the other, I was cruising around Crows Base. I found there was a, uh, I was looking at a show that I went to, which was 07 at a place called the United Palace Theater. And it was a Halloween show, so they had a costume contest. Do you know that Jessica was the winner of that contest? There's a photo of her right on there. I, I, I don't remember that at all. That's so funny. I think she told me that when I had her on um, my other podcast. So, yeah, and we, we hope to have her on uh, for something in the future. We uh, tried to get her on for a Stones episode, but uh, just uh, we couldn't nail down a time on that. But, uh, yeah, we want to have her on uh, for sure. There's a there's a lot of you that are emailing us and we appreciate that we appreciate the support and like I said our goal is to get everybody on that uh, that wants to come on so we're we're trying to plan the podcast out several weeks in advance we'll be reaching out to some of you um, hey a shout out to Richard Stout huh oh he's an excellent guy and he Richard is a guy that I met when there was a uh, a Rich Robinson Mark Ford acoustic show being organized and he organized it was a private show. Uh, at an art gallery in Connecticut, and I kind of met him through that. And he was a—he's just a very, very generous guy, a very welcoming guy, very friendly guy. Got his own band that's fantastic. I, he said he's working on a record now. Sadly, uh, he had mentioned the other day when we kind of mutually spoke to him, he hadn't been uh, well. So you know, we wish him all the best. And as soon as he's a hundred percent, we definitely plan on having him on the show in some capacity. Yeah, Richard, we—we've uh, got you at the top of the list for uh, who we want to have on and he sent me up he sent me several uh, episode suggestions and all of them were really good so i I don't think we're going to go wrong with him no absolutely not he's going to be i mean he'll be on multiple times i'm sure and now and anybody who has contacted us don't we are keeping a uh, a running list of who's interested in talking about what and when we can fit it in it's just you know sometimes on the fly, things come up or, or something's happening that we got to address right away. So sometimes things get pushed back a little bit. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to all of you eventually. And we've had a couple of interviews confirmed that people want to do with us. Uh, we just got to nail down some times. Everybody just kind of hold on and we're doing our best to uh, 
to try to make some of that happen. And we're also trying to get some people that were kind of on the sidelines a little bit, but um, we're not actually members of the band, but contributed to various things. So uh, be patient with us. And like I said, we're, we're working around the clock trying to get people on here. I have a feeling everybody's going to be very pleased with the episodes coming up in the very near future. So Ian, before I throw it to you to sign us off, Twitter at State of America, and we have the YouTube channel. We have the State of America podcast Facebook page, which Ian does a tremendous job running. And then um, I run the Instagram page and the Twitter account. So uh, if you get some, see something on one of those two, it's for me. If it's on Facebook, it's from Ian. And if it's YouTube, it's Ian. Ian, I've enjoyed it this week, and you haven't even told me what we're playing out. So why don't you sign us off? So this week, I've been listening to this one a lot. It comes back around for me. Uh, every so often I was actually at the show which probably has a lot to do with it but this is uh, Mark Ford covering Neil Young's LA from uh, Jones Beach Amphitheater July 19th 2006 and on behalf of David and myself see you next time stay tall
Wish you could be here too. 